Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace and blessings be on all of you lovely people out there. Welcome to another Muslim Vibe podcast on the slightly different time of a Tuesday evening at around 8pm, which we're just a little bit after 8pm, guys. So, uh, yeah, so I appreciate you guys uh, following us along on our different days and ventures of new times and efforts. Um, but, yeah, it's all in aid to bring you the wonderful interviews that we do. And who do we have today and what are we talking about? Well, we are talking about Iraq and we are talking about the humanitarian crisis in Iraq specifically um, and thus we have with us today none other than Madiha Rada of Muslim Aid and alongside her obviously we have another face which you may recognize which is of course Hasib, the main man director of Muslim Vibe himself, uh, Rizvi. So yeah, so especially I say Asalaamu Alaikum to both of you but especially to Madiha. Um, thank you very much for joining us all the way from Iraq because um, I believe you only just got back on Sunday is that correct yeah on Sunday yeah wow wow so yeah hectic stuff and um, since then obviously a lot of media um, kind of focus as well I suppose uh, because of what has just recently changed if you like uh, in terms of global things within Mosul especially um, which we were just talking about off air um, but just tell us um, so what was your work uh, what was your what was your work around in Iraq you know what was your reasons for going there and stuff um, so as part of Muslim Aid mm-hmm. uh, Muslim Aid have been on the ground uh, in Mosul uh, since 2000 since 2016 October uh, which is when they started retaking uh, those areas from the southern districts up to east and then west um, sort of doing evacuations uh, with the armed forces um, getting people out of occupied areas helping uh, with humanitarian uh, needs such as food water medical aid etc so the objective of my trip was to do a needs assessment now that those areas have been um, liberated and, right. and retaken mm-hmm. um, and sort of help on the ground as well um, and, and see what it is that we're doing exactly and and what the plans could be for long-term rehabilitation Okay, wow, wow, fascinating. And hence my reference to uh, what I just mentioned in terms of Mosul itself, because in recent news reports, it's another um, supposed uh, kind of success in terms of another liberation. Um, So hopefully more people uh, can effectively benefit from aid from people such as yourself and organisations such as Muslim Aid. Um, And we hope that, um, you know, obviously things are returning back to somewhat more of a stable situation at least in terms of security but again that's why we want to talk to yourself i mean what is the reality like on the ground then like when you got there like did you have you when was the last time you had been or have you ever been to um, iraq before i've been to iraq uh, in the more southern part of iraq but not not to mosul right um obviously in areas like baghdad and Kobala and najaf you, yeah. you, you you see that and somewhere uh, you see the um the signs of, of war and conflict yeah. um you know, some destroyed buildings, bullet marks, etc. Mm, mm. But Mosul was a completely different situation. Really? The entire city has been completely destroyed, completely wow. obliterated. Wow. Um, people are in desperate need. Obviously, they've lost everything. So they're relying completely on humanitarian agencies like Muslim Aid. So, I mean, so like, where, where, where are they like living then in terms of, in terms of if they are having any kind of shelter? What, what is the situation then? Have people like, 
fled and it's like an empty kind of ghost town or are there still people in you know kind of the rubbles of like you know buildings which are there you know like are the camps what's the deal it's it's a, it's a bit of everything um a lot of people don't want to leave the areas that they they they, they belong to and they, they live in they've got sentimental value attached to those areas yeah. um a lot of people have been evacuated by us at muslim aid and mm. um and the armed forces they've been taken to camps um there are four or five camps around the Mosul area the one i visited has eight thousand families with with about six people in each family. Yeah. Um, some people are living in sort of dilapidated buildings, um, sort of that haven't even, you know, that are half standing. Wow. Um, a lot of people have returned to their old, to their buildings, which yeah. are, which are basically rubble. Yeah. They're trying to make some sort of life there, but they've got nothing. They've got no resources, um, and that's why we're there trying to help them with with, with that. That's um, unbelievable. That's yeah. nuts. I mean, because like, I don't know about yourself, like I see like. I've only been to Iraq once, um, and that was just for Arabian. So again, I was only in two specific cities. I was in Najaf and then Karbala, mm-hmm. and obviously the walk in between. Um, I got to meet a lot of people and talk to people and hear their stories, but I didn't see anything per se. I got little glimpses of things, you know, like um, uh, which was unfortunate in the sense that obviously you don't even want to have any kind of tragedy, but the point being is that I got some of the reality of what goes on. but. In terms of working in it or, you know, um, being in an area whereby it is in war. Um, I don't know, bruv, have you, have you ever exper- uh, had any kind of like, because, yeah, as I say. From nah, n- none at all. But, I mean, I've seen pictures and, you know, I mean, like those pictures speak for themselves. But yeah. I guess being on the ground is yeah. a completely different experience. Different, yeah. I mean, I just went to, uh, I remember like when you went to um, a place called Samara. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah, north yeah. of Baghdad. Yeah. Yeah. And you see like bullet holes and stuff like that, and you're like, wow, like yeah. what took place here? And that wasn't even from ISIS; that was during the time of, uh, from the the US invasion and stuff. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's, it was it was that was shocking in itself. Mm, mm. But like the pictures that I've seen coming out of Mosul and other parts, you're you're just kind of left speechless because, what it really like what really hits home is just the human tragedy. It's just yeah. like, whatever your political differences are, mm. whatever your opinion may be of certain things. It's human lives at the end of the day that are being destroyed. Um, innocent people that are always paying the heaviest price. Yeah, yeah, no, that's so true, man. So true. It's just, I find it mind blowing, as I say, because, um, you know, we're in such comfort in our lives over here. Um, and like, like Hasib said, you know, we obviously have media footage from news or whatever it may be coming through. And, you know, so we have an understanding, but. It must be nothing like the actual reality. Um, so, are you the only kind of um, when you say Muslim aid, the only group working uh, on the ground? Are there many other charities working? Like you know, so there, there are other charities working um, in Mosul, but th- those are mainly in in the camps. Uh, Muslim aid is the okay. only organisation that has access to all areas of Mosul, and that's because okay. of the fact that we've got really great um, relationships with local authorities, the armed forces, etc., and they've got they really trust us. Um, so we're sort of the go-to, uh, and we've also obviously we've been in Iraq since two thousand and three, mm-hmm. um, and more recently in terms of uh, humanitarian assistance and emergency since two thousand and nine. But literally since each of the towns were being retaken, we were there on the front line with the armed forces evacuating people. Um, wow. You know, wow. literally for, by front line I mean a hundred meters from um, occupied areas. And the stories I've got in terms of. Gosh. The things the evacuation teams have told me and the, and the things that families I've spoken to directly have told me in terms of what life was like when they were living under yeah. occupation, it's, it's crazy. 
Well, I'm sure, like, you know, we're, we've got lots of questions for you, and I'm sure we'll be intrigued by as many of those stories. Um, but also to the people watching, we are obviously live on Facebook, so please do hit us up with your comments, um, and uh, hopefully Madiha will get to answer some of those questions as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that must be... Absolutely. I mean, weren't you scared as well? Like, and I mean, what did your parents think? Like, you know, <laughs> sending a young lady across, you know, no, they, like, that's crazy. They, they, they were very aware that this, this kind of thing is my passion. And uh, when I've got my mindset, <laughs> they're <laughs> yeah. changing it. Um, I was, I mean, scared, yes, to some extent. But mm. to be honest, the need is so great. Yeah. The fear sort of comes secondary to that. Um, yeah. you, know, you know, as I said, the humanitarian need is, is great. And, you know, the work that Muslim Aid are doing is so fantastic that um, you know I'm really very proud of the team out there mm. um, but in terms of what you know when I got there and I spoke to the families it, it's really heartbreaking because you see it all from here and it's, you know we're sitting here mm. we see it on the news we see it um, in, in pictures and media etc it's different when you're actually there and you realize oh my god those people that committed all these atrocities are literally a couple of kilometers down the road mm. and these are people that I'm actually speaking to that that have been directly affected and it's really great that we're able to help them in some capacity mm. and, and that's why I, you know um, off the back of my trip we're launching an appeal um, to be able to continue with our efforts um, right, and right. that will be live on our website muslimaid.org tonight as well excellent 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 mm. and um, I believe also uh, just to plug it while we're at you're also going to be on um, uh, BBC Breakfast News tomorrow morning yeah. as well isn't it so yeah. Um, so yeah obviously you guys are doing great work and hence as I said earlier you know um, there's been media coverage around you because um, as I say that is really tough work to take on um, especially being the only um, aid group on the front line um, as I say you know it's a big responsibility um, so what was like uh, your most common kind of um, or uh, not even most common what was the first thing you kind of uh, were approached by the people in need of like you know what was their main need did you find um you know or was it just uh, an array of different needs based on every individual family or like you know but or was there an overarching kind of thing which you could see wow this is what re they really need um first and foremost um, else? well there was two main things i think um one was that they really wanted us to hear their stories okay. you know hear what they went through um, you know, tell the, the, the you know one, one lady in the yeah. in, in the camp, her mom in the little camp, um, pulled us into a tent and said, you know, this is my elderly father. Yeah. Um, we want you to hear our story and tell the world about what we've suffered and what we've undergone. Um, that's interesting. Sorry to interject because you would think like um, my mind would first go to you know kind of material things which you know would uh, you know whether it be food, clothes, whatever. Well, no, I mean, it, it did. It, did lead on, it led on to that you know, because of yeah, what they've been yeah. through. They but said, the mere fact that yeah. that is um, even a priority in their mind yeah. shows how kind of I suppose how voiceless they must feel yeah. in many ways no, as well. Exactly. Like, um, but yeah, sorry. So I mean, that's, and yeah. the second thing was, um, well, medical medical aid, I think, in okay. the camps at least. Yeah. Um, in the neighbourhoods that we were operating in, I went to one of our distribution points. So we work with the World Food Programme to distribute um, around 70 kilos of uh, food rations and hygiene kits per month for each family. And, um, you know, when we were there, they were sort of grabbing my arm and grabbing our arms and saying, you know, we're in desperate need, you know, and you could tell because when our evacuation teams evacuate them from those front lines, they're yeah. severely malnourished um, because w what happened whilst they were under occupation was that they were barricaded in their homes because they weren't allowed out. Wow. Um, food prices shot up. For how up. long? Some, one, one or two families told me they were in there. They were basically barricaded for a year. 
No. Yeah. There, there was one family that told me that their father had was so elderly and obviously they're malnourished. Yeah. They're not. They're not given any food or water because yeah. the insurgents have basically yeah. shot up the price by ridiculous amounts. I think one kilogram of sugar was five hundred dollars. So what? what, what so what? they, their elderly father passed away. And they weren't able to go out to bury him for two whole days because they were barricaded in their home. So in the June heat, they had to leave their elderly fathers. And how, how have the insurgents out. managed to control the economy in such a way that they're inflating it? To, I mean, Because they steal all the food. Yeah. Then they sell it back to them at inflated prices. And anything that comes into the city, they add taxes onto it. Um, and wow. take it upon themselves. Right? See, this is stuff which you don't necessarily hear about, which is, you know, you hear about, obviously, um, you know, the violence mm. and things like that, but these kind of other... Th it really does show how kind of inhumane yeah. these people are yeah. and the point that any kind of guise of religion would be completely dismissed by the general public were they to understand this is how these people operate because I mean, that's you hear sick. the stories it's i mean let me sick. give an example one of one of uh, evacuation teams yeah. um working with we, we, our evacuation teams are sponsored by echo and we work with the armed forces and yeah. as i said we're about 100 meters from the front lines yeah uh one of the um evacuation team members told me that uh one of the a lady was r running out from the front line yeah. towards us yeah. um, with a one and a half year old daughter. Okay. Um, she got shot by a sniper, so she died. Um, obviously, she dropped her, her her baby, one and a half year old. So one of the evacuation team members um, from the armed forces went to pick up the little girl, got shot, and also died. So there was two whole days where that little one and a half year old girl was sort of pottering around her mother's body. Um, at night, she would go up to her um, body and you know, just sleep next to her. In the day, she would potter about, laugh, play, cry, um, you know, no food, no water, no nappy changes. For two whole days, there was no window in which we could go go and basically get her from, you know, the most heart-wrenching thing was that we could see her from, from where they were standing. Um, but that goes to show that, you know, how inhumane they are. As you said, you know, sometimes we've heard stories of families that told us that their kids were used as bait for NGO workers as an us and uh, armed forces they leave them on the side of the road so that if someone comes to help them they get shot and they get killed and that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what they endured um, and so even now they don't have anything and they rely on us for their aid subhanallah yeah. man this is mad yeah. that is mad I don't know I don't even know what to say really because like that is I mean, even the thought of trying to kill aid workers, um, you know, the idea of Islamically how you should treat people even in warfare, you know, um, is beyond their kind of understanding because, you know, to kill aid workers um, in itself is just nuts. Like, and to bait them using babies, yeah. like, this is just a whole nother world. Like, you know, that normal ethics doesn't seem to cover. Like, I mean, that's the sort of... I mean, Alhamdulillah, no one yeah. has been injured from 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 Muslim aid team yeah, at least. Yeah, um, but that is the dangerous um, situation in which our team are operating, and and that that is why I'm so proud of, of of what of the work that we do, and that is why I would really urge people to, I mean, and this is a bit of a plug, but to donate no, to go, our plug away, plug to, away, to man, donate plug to away. our appeal um, yeah. on MuslimAid.org um, because the work that we're doing with agencies such as the UN and you know European Union etc. is it really is amazing. Oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. Close that, close that.
kill that, kill that. Sorry, yeah, my bad, my bad. Okay. Technology. Yeah, yeah, it's not my strong point. Yeah, um, no, I was just, I was just looking at um, uh, because again, uh, we, I'm sure you guys don't need any encouragement, but um, please do uh, join in with the conversation on Facebook. Um, because yeah, as I said, man, I'm just blown away at the bravery of because me as a bloke, as I said, I'm just sitting there thinking, wow. I could not do that. I don't think I could. I say as brave as I think I am. And, you know, when, at the end of the day, voluntarily going abroad into another person's troubles, into another person's, person's situation. Like I said, initially, we come from such comfort that many people wouldn't even be able to, you know, um, you know, fathom, like, you know, having to live this. Because, as I say, like, you know... Um, hundred yards away from uh, people what are these people like then as well do you ever come across <coughs> the actual um, insurgents themselves or are they all hidden like you know um, because the areas which you're working working in are they areas which have already been kind of like um, relieved by the armies and you know therefore you're or are you working on kind of borderline areas whereby still there's a stronghold of of cities by these insurgents do you, it's do you both. understand it's both so uh, we're doing a lot of food distribution in and uh, food food water and sort of latrines etc in in neighborhoods that have been completely destroyed and that have been retaken where families right. are coming back to those areas right um, and um, we are also working on the front lines with the armed forces to evacuate people from areas that are still not liberated still not retaken because not all areas have been retaken okay um, as the media have been saying yeah there are still pockets of occupation um, in and around Mosul yeah, itself exactly, yeah? in the southwest um, area of the city okay um, there's still areas that so this is what I'm saying the very the reality of you coming across an insurgent how real is that like did you um, well when, when I went yeah. um, wasn't huge um, yeah. huge chances but there are from what I'm hearing snipers etc hidden in and around the areas that have not been completely cleared their mines on the floor you know I, I was telling you earlier yeah. we came across a, a mortar bomb that hadn't actually gone off um you know sort of stuck in the ground and one of the evacuation team members pointed it out and so we put some uh, objects around it so that you know children or people don't actually end up running into it or something yes. like that it was it was like something out of a movie it was just completely surreal but this is what this yeah. is exactly what i mean when i say like yeah. you know for us to actually fathom going and doing this yeah. kind of work is uh yeah it's something out of a movie because um you are literally putting your life on the line um I mean, uh, what what motivated you to? I mean, obviously the motivation being, you know, the humanitarian crisis itself. But um, you know, how how did you get into this line of work in the first place? You know, if you don't mind um, asking. Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's kind of my background. My my masters, etc., was international development. So I've I've been in the NGO sector and the international development sector since I since I graduated. Right. And in the humanitarian sector. Um, so that's how I got into it in that way. I mean, because Muslim Aid have been doing such amazing work, I wanted to go out there. Uh, on their behalf and actually see and do a needs assessment of, of how we can look to, towards rebuilding and rehabilitating Iraq um, since it's been retaken basically. And how, how long do you think the, the plan might need uh, in terms of you know, uh, you know the long-term plan and making change you know how, can you see a, a future for for Iraq as it currently stands you know in the way that you've obviously experienced the last 10 days you were there and whatnot I think I think we're looking at 15 to 20 years uh, of, of proper rehabilitation I mean in the, in the short term from Muslim aid side of things we are helping with immediate needs you know as I said food water medical yeah. attention 
um, latrine, but you know things like water and sanitation, education, psychosocial care, um, rebuilding of in- infrastructure, all of that kind of thing is going to be a long-term thing. Because, like you say, like if an entire city is absolutely desecrated, yeah. you know, um, simple things like you know sanitation and sewage, you know, mm-hmm. is not going to be running and operating. No, exactly. Exactly. So, in terms of developing illnesses and things yeah. like that that's just rapid then the fact that you don't have hospitals to take care of it so how, how do you maintain and contain all of this you know like how large are the numbers which you're having to cover when you're there and things so like that? inside Mosul one million people have been dis- displaced 60% of the homes wow. have been destroyed um, so I mean that's I mean that's a lot of people um, <laughs> yeah, and I mean there, as I said there, it isn't just Muslim it obviously out there, yeah, there are other yeah. agencies the UN uh, Save the Children in Oxfam etc um, mm. though that as I said they're not in the areas that we are yeah. but it will have to be a cooperative um, sort of effort effort yeah. um, and you know that we you know while we were out there for example we, there was a, a, a water and sanitation cluster meeting to basically talk about how um, all these international organizations and local organizations can work together to try and rebuild water and sanitation facilities in Mosul and that's exactly how it has to be that mm. has to be a collective effort and a coordinated effort um, but the great thing is that organizations like Muslim Aid have local expertise that can help uh, rebuild um, for the future which is great uh, of course of course yeah I mean um, how, how would you compare Muslim have you worked with any other NGOs other than Muslim, Muslim yeah. Aid and stuff yeah. like yeah. how would you compare them like you know obviously you've got to big them up very but, political but, question yeah, yeah, but, you know, you know. Um, well if we're talking about just Iraq I would yeah. say I've not seen any I mean I know for a fact there is nothing out there out in Iraq like Muslim Aid um, all really? the other organisations said that about us we visited a lot of organisations and really? they said Muslim Aid is at the forefront mm. you are the go-to mm. um, there's no organisation that's working like Muslim Aid on the ground in terms of at, and and the, uh, and the people who are helping you know um, are they predominantly of one kind of sect or from one religion per se? Like in terms of, we know that you know Iraq obviously is a predominantly Muslim country, but the areas you're working in, um, you know, is there any kind of like discrimination in any no. kind of form? It's uh, across everyone, the anyone that needs it. And and ha- are there, are you finding that there's large proportions of like Christian communities and others? Well, what are the numbers like in terms of you know? I'm not actually sure about what the numbers are like. Mm. I know that, for example, um, there are there are sectarian divides um, across East and West Muslims. I think I think if I'm not mistaken, and um, I wouldn't quote me on this, mm. I think the East of Mosul is more no, the West of Mosul is more Shia areas. The mm. East is more Sunni areas. Mm-hmm. I think, or it might be the other way around, but. Mm-hmm. We're working in all of it and we're helping everyone. So interesting, it's definitely interesting. not... Um, well, the reason why I bring this yeah. all up is because, again, you know, for our non-Muslim kind of viewers who are watching or listening, yeah. you know, they might think, you know, with a name like Muslim Aid, you're yeah. working in Iraq, yeah, you know, what kind... Yeah. You know, but it's important to point out that, you know, um, you know, our, and, and just for our knowledge as well, you know, that's why I ask, you know, are there Christians affected? Are yeah. there, you know, uh, Sunnis, Yazidis, yeah. 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 Shias, mm-hmm. Sunnis, mm-hmm. the lot? So, you know, regardless, like, you know, um, you know, there seems to be a mix of people who are just like any kind of country, you know, citizens can come in all shapes yeah. and sizes. Right. I mean, we don't, we don't ask. We, yeah. we, we only ask them what they need. We don't ask mm-hmm. them what their religion is and, yeah. you know, who they... Obviously, we are actually when we evacuate them. One of the things we do 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 is um, 
check their identification because there is a list of people that we kn- that are known to be insurgents. Right. So that's the only time that we actually screen them for who they are. That's interesting. Um, because somehow, and I don't know how, they have yeah. people. It's known how how who is who who is yeah. you know. So in that way, um, except for that, we don't ask. Okay. About their background. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, because again, like I say, many people might think to themselves that you know, um, uh, you know, it's a sectarian divide that's causing you know, like you know, the insurgents to you know fuel like you know the fire of the the violence and etc. But the point again is to recognise that if the victims are of every different kind of group, um, it shows you that. This argument of sectarian, um, you know, uh, inflammation causing, you know, this to exist is actually a, a moot point because essentially, um, as I say, it's an indiscriminate killing of anybody who's not with that certain group of uh, insurgents. Exactly. No, um, so yeah, that, mm. that's that's crazy, crazy mm. stuff. Um, yeah, interesting. So I mean. Um, in terms of the the other areas then around Mosul, um, you know, like I said, um, have they then uh, have people uh, who have fled Mosul uh, look? At, are they looking to return now that they know that um, you know work is being done there in terms of human? Or is it still very early days, and whereby um, you're only dealing with the people who are immediately being affected in that area? Um, um, so because some places have been um, retaken for quite a while, for a couple of weeks now, a couple yeah. of months. People are returning as soon as as soon as they can. Really? So one of the areas I visited was called July Seventeenth area, which refers to July Seventeenth of nineteen fifty eight, which has um, a revolutionary connotation to it. Um, that's why it was called that. Okay. Um, there's some kind of um, special. Uh, I'm not actually sure what happened in July nineteen fifty eight, but. Um, there's some kind of revolution and the people of that area have a re- real sentimental attachment to that area yeah. so in the first instance they didn't even want to leave but obviously when they were getting bombed etc they had to leave but yeah. they're returning as soon as as soon as they can so people are in a lot of the videos um, you might have seen floating around that I took um, you know, there are cars and people sort of floating around as well but again they're not coming back to anything mm. they don't have anything mm. so you know, they are relying on us um, but people are returning as soon as they can. That's crazy to yeah. think, though, because you've got nowhere think, else to go. Well, this, well, this, I suppose, yeah, uh, of course. I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, to put it in context, you know, like, if, if I knew that my home area of Harrow, for instance, was, you know, in the middle of a war, mm-hmm. um, and if I got, uh, you know, how do they get this news that it's safe to return? You know, or how do they have the assurance in themselves that, you know, when they receive news that it's trustworthy and they can return? Do you get what I mean? Mm. Because for them to return so soon, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I would think, you know, I'll wait, you know, I'll wait a bit longer, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, let's see how, how it unfolds. Because, again, as I say, you know, um, uh, well, even as you've said, there's still pockets of insurgents around, even if a city itself is declared as liberated by, you know, the, you know, the government, etc. Um, these people are that confident, or is it that much out of desperation? That I think it's out of desperation. I think it's out of um, the memories they created. You know, th- this is their home. So even though pride, I suppose. As yeah. Well, as no. Well. Yeah. Definitely. I think it's well the fact that they weren't wanting to leave in the first place. You know, mm. given that they were occu- they were under occupation, they were yeah. they were they were under attack. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that did leave was out of pure pure desperation. 
Um, some people didn't want to leave, so it just it shows how attached they are to. I mean, it's natural, isn't it? That yeah. you're attached to the area that you've grown of up course, in and made course, memories, yeah. and you know, for generations, people live in these areas, mm-hmm. and then they have to leave. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's. But as I said, the the need is 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 is, is great, and people have nothing literally. It's. I mean, I I've been to other areas. I, I was in Lesbos last year. Um, helping with the Syrian crisis yeah. um, and the camps there were, were in better condition than they are in, in, in Mosul. Really? That's Because yeah. that's an interesting comparison to make because um, similarly my brother, he went to Lesbos to to, um, to help and um, he went on several occasions, he went to Athens then because he was so affected by it um, and you know he was showing me videos and stories and, um, and it's horrific some of the things that you hear. Um, and you would say Iraq is it's worse, yeah, um, definitely in worse. fact, because um, these people were under occupation for a very very long time, you know. Hmm. Um, and whilst they were under occupation, they did they had no they had no access to anything. And mm-hmm. as I said, you know, when when they evacuated, they're so weak and malnourished, you know, they can hardly walk a lot of the time. A lot most of the time, they're injured hmm. um, in some capacity or another. Um, and you know, as I said, the stories that they've, they've told us and in terms of what they've undergone, um, it's 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 crazy. Obviously, I understand the Syrian people have also gone through. Of course, something of course, similar. of course. And, and we're never, you know, making uh, you know any light yeah. of it or comparison yeah. in that respect. Yeah. But yeah, but somehow yeah, it is worse. And I, it's for me, it was the heat, for example, in just you know while I was in those in, in the camp and in yeah. those neighbourhoods, the heat was just unbearable. And for me to know that I'm going to come back to a comfy hotel yeah. while these people yeah. are in in a camp. Um, you know, I just didn't feel right at all to, to come back on that way. But, you know, it did make me, it did give me consolation that at least our team I know mm. are out there every day helping mm. as much as they can so and doing really amazing work. What, what are the state of these camps then, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the facilities and the numbers and things like that, you know, which some of the camps that you visited? So the camp I went to is called Hamam al-Alil. It's um, just south of the um, center of Mosul yeah. in the um, Qayyar, near the Qayyara district right. and um, that camp has 8,000 families uh, each family has around 6 people on average we say um, and in terms of the facilities so we, we actually provide a Muslim aid actually yeah. provide um, the food rations as I said in that we have like salt, wheat um, lentils, chickpeas um, oil, flour um, and hygiene kits, um, which include things like toothbrushes and soap and shampoo. So and do they then women. effectively cook it themselves? Like, is it more yeah, like... Yes, so then we yeah. also provide um, in-kind support. So uh, with um, some of the UN agencies, so we provide um, stoves, heaters, blankets, mattresses, oh, plastic cool. sheets, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all yeah. these kind of things. And this is what we're actually fundraising for and appealing for in, right. our, in our Mosul appeal to continue with this kind of thing. Right. Um, because I said the need is great. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, they, they do they cook all these things themselves, but obviously, you know, there's it was 50 degrees when I went just now, and yeah. it doesn't matter if you've got a tent over your head, the heat is just not going to stay out. It was yeah. just unbearable. Wow, um, wow. It was really, it was really, really sad, yeah. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. And I, I mean, uh, you know, again, as I say, then hence why we keep plugging it, because, um, you know, we want obviously people to donate as much as they can, um, and you want people to feel that they're given to an authentic cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, to know that, you know, this is not about, you know, religion or, you know, anything else. It's just the fact that you guys are 
the group working on the ground. So therefore, you are the vehicle to get the help to them. Um, and therefore, regardless, you know, people should, um, you know, donate as much as they can, if they can, um, because obviously you're doing such a applaudable work. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Hazib, I know I've been hogging it, man. Like, um, so, you know, jump in at any it's fine, time. I've just been seeing your size um, you. <laughs> No, it's just because I was just thinking just now, like even that, you know, um, giving people food um, parcels and stuff like, you know, to have to, you know, um, rely upon yourself for handouts. How long are they going to be in these camps and within these situations then for, do you foresee? And how much does it cost, for instance, to feed one family, let's say, for a week even, um, you know, to just get an idea of, you know, like, well, what is the need which is required so financially we've, we've, as well? we've done some price handles and that kind of thing to sort of uh, try and work out on a monthly basis because yeah. we give monthly food rations, okay, about right. 70 kilograms of, of, of food, um, uh, those, those items I just listed yeah, yeah. Uh, per family, um, and it's about sixty pounds a month, which isn't which isn't much for okay, a yeah, month yeah. for a family yeah, of six. Yeah, no, no, that's decent. Um, and um, what, sorry, what was your other question? And no, no. So and yeah, so I mean, so if it's sixty pound a month, yeah. then you know, um, how long do you foresee um, the situation being that they're in these camps whereby they need this continuous kind of like feed of uh, help? It will be for. I think a, you know a good good year, year and a half at least. Wow. Um, okay. b because as I said the in the infrastructure is completely gone. Yeah. They've got nothing. Yeah. Um, in terms of rebuilding, um, that that's going to take obviously up to twenty years to rebuild the entire city to yeah. what it what it used to be once upon a time. But in terms of immediate human, the reason why we're fundraising for hum immediate humanitarian assistance is because they will need food rations, latrines. Medical aid, etc., in the immediate term. You know, right. we will also be working um, towards rehabilitation in the long term in some right. capacity as well because of our expertise on the ground, um, for which we'll probably do a different appeal yeah. uh, in the future. Yeah, but yeah. in the immediate term, mm -hmm. there's definitely a need for. Is the is like or is the is the almost like the um, emergency relief exactly. which they need right now, exactly, right? Yeah. Um, because in this interim period of an uncertainty, like you say, um, it could be a year, it could be longer, yeah. whereby they need that um, they need that assistance. They're not going to go back to you know farmlands mm -hmm. and be growing their own mm -hmm. crops or whatever it may be that people may do. Not going back to businesses um, at this stage, it seems that they're going to be in these camps then mm -hmm. for for at least the next year or so. Yeah, exactly. Right? I think I think it's important important to understand that emergency doesn't mean one or two days it can yeah. mean a longer term thing mm, and indeed. the thing is what's really sad is that people forget you know it comes on the news and you know, pe you know I don't think I've actually got that much uh, media coverage there's been a lot of media coverage about the cities being retaken yeah no one's focusing on the humanitarian need which is what the biggest problem is out there you know th these people were in such desperate conditions that it made me really sad that there isn't. You know, that's why we're launching this appeal. I don't think that many other organisations have. But well, th this is, is great. This is yeah. exactly what I was thinking within myself. Like, um, you know, when I saw the news, there's a lot of like, you know, talk about the fact that it's been liberated and etc. But at the end of the day, what does that mean then for the people who it's been liberated? Um, who were living there previously or the people who are still there like you say we didn't see any accounts of you know how it's going to affect them now um, and you know I'm not trying to be too cynical I mean maybe Hasib maybe has a bit more of a political slant on this but like you know in terms of I don't know you, well well, let me ask you actually, in fact, then, you know, because being, uh, you know, uh, part of the, the news kind of like um, realm, 
you know, how do you feel it's been reported uh, over the last few weeks? Because, you know, the reports were like 10th of July, I could see um, quite a lot of BBC kind of like um, coverage coming out. Um, and so it's really been like a couple of weeks now where they're saying, you know, um, Mosul's been liberated and, you know, like, you know, uh, hopefully there'll be safety now and like things will go back to normal. Do you think there's been a fair reflection upon the reality of what's going on there in the news? I mean, the liberation, quote unquote, yeah. obviously it's not entirely liberated. Yeah. Um, but taking back Mosul um, was very significant. Yeah. Um, and it was a, you know, like a, it, was, it was a game changing moment, really, in terms of like where ISIS is and, and you know, obviously the fact that Mosul is the part place where they announced their caliphate. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty much to the date that they were able to recapture that very same space that they announced the caliphate from. Right. So, <clears throat> from in that regard, obviously the, the the media had to report it from that angle and and, and you know, pretty much celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, Western media didn't really celebrate it. Um, there was a lot of um, question marks, and we'll get into this in a bit in terms of like the future of Iraq and, mm. and its stability. But mm. it was almost like oh. You know, it's been liberated from ISIS, but what comes next might be worse. You know, like that mm. kind of um, preset that the, the media kind of like puts out there. Why do they do that? Why do well, they do? <laughs> I mean, we, we can get into that in a bit. Um, but as, as Medea put it, the humanitarian part is just mm. completely, um, you overlooked. know, overlooked. But at the same time, obviously, the, the, the thing is, and, and it is a situation with wars where the juicier story is to talk about the, the conflict. Yeah. Um, and like I said, the the civilians are who the, pay the biggest price, mm. and not just from the aspect of the fact that their lives are the ones that are destroyed, but they're also the ones that are underreported. It's their stories that are not told, and yeah. it's very telling. Obviously, that Medea mentioned that you know the the, the first thing that people asked mm. uh, was for their story to be to be heard, mm. um, because they don't feel heard, and 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 the reality is we, we don't hear them. We don't hear the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's something that we actually need to kind of make a separate project on is yeah. to bring out their stories you know at the end of the day you got people in Iraq similar if not worse situation in Syria yeah. uh, to degree things happening in Africa things happening in Afghanistan all over the world like there's conflicts and it's the oppressed people of the world and, and, and they're one being essentially the responsibility lies on us uh, to, to put their voice out and I think just speaking to you just now, like, isn't mm. I've been sitting here silently, but mm. just been thinking away at some ideas. I think there's there's room for something for the Muslim wife to do something about that. I mean, I've got I've got so many case studies. I've got so many case studies of families I've spoken to with the evacuation team, yeah. in terms of what people have have gone through. Well, I was just going to ask you. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, um, I'm sure that you know we could uh, hear for hours stories. Yeah. But is there anything which just stands out in your mind which you could share with um, you know uh, our listeners? You know um, that could uh, just give uh, a little bit of an insight and understanding as to what kind of um, kind of you know reality these people are facing um, well I think one of the main things that stood out for me is, is that story I already mentioned about mm. the, the lady that ran with her one and a half year old girl and, and she was shot and, and so was the evacuation team member um, there was another well, there, there was sort of snippets I've got in my mind that, that really stuck out for me um, you know the fact that people were barricaded in their homes without any food and water. I, I've got a uh, a letter um, that was published by the insurgents, um, basically with a caption saying that um, you know 
basically inflating the prices of, of the things of the food and water that 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 they needed to, to resell yeah. um, for me the thing that stuck out the most was how easily the insurgents would basically just dish out punishments to for any little thing anything at all like i think someone's trousers someone's husband's trousers were too long so he got beheaded for that you know that that oh, kind of thing wow. you know, there's just so many stories like that and i've got them all written up i've written up case studies wow. on that um one of the other stories from the evacuation team from muslim aid um actually that really stuck in my mind was and i've got a picture of these um three little children all under the age of five i think mm. um they were being their their, their mother told them their, their father was shot and the father was killed and the mother was trying to evacuate them but she got killed by a sniper so the family friend that was with them um, took the three children and left them in the shelter um, in, in one of the houses that were in the neighborhood that was being bombed and attacked and I think they were alone for 24 hours before our team found them and evacuated them um, you know gave them food and water straight away um, little little children and I think you know f for me it related back to, to the, you know, the fact that I've got little nephews and I think it's very easy to sort of think okay these are someone's you know these are not my children these are yeah. not yeah. they're just children that I'm hearing about yeah but the fact is that these are someone's children these, these are people's nephews and nieces and children and you know daughters and sons um and you know what they've seen at such a young age you know, bombs falling around them well, imagine what sort of trauma I was just going to say like you know beyond the kind of physical relief that they need after the fact mm -hmm. what about the emotional psychological um, kind of aid that they need yeah. in terms of um, you know we talk about post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder in the west yeah. like you know what kind of trauma are they going to be yeah. facing and what kind of counseling and therapy are they going to yeah. need just to try and you know get and I, I, even beyond that i mean how many kids are going to be orphans so I, many. I, I, you know what did you see um uh, there were a lot of children in those camps okay. a lot of children and it was so strange because they have seen so much at such a young age they've still got that they they've still got you know, childlike behavior. At the same time, there's such wisdom in their eyes and such trauma in their eyes. And you know, it was just such a weird paradox. That must you know, be surreal. it's like 50 degrees heat, and they're running around with bare feet because they don't have any shoes. Okay. At the same time, they're trying to play, but there's like a trauma on their face and eyes. Not something that I'm making up. It's something that's visible when you see them in the pictures I've got. You know, you can see it on their face, and it's just it's it it, it really struck me that this could have been any one of our children. You know. it's, it's something that I think, like I said, not just limited to Iraq, and, and it's unfortunate, right? It's these children. I mean, Iraq itself, they're talking about, it's been about 10, 10 15 years of, of, of pretty much war since the US invasion, yeah. Saddam before that, uh, another invasion before that. It's a traumatized country, it's been mm -hmm. for a lot. Yeah. Uh, one thing that can be said about the Iraqi people. Um, is their resilience? Resilient, yeah, they're very they're, resilient. Like, yeah. as in, even being got, having gone myself and seeing the generosity, and you know, after being through so much, you see people that have got like they, they've got nothing to offer. They they've got no home. They you know, I mean, they barely got enough to eat, eat themselves. Yeah, and they 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 try to serve you. Yeah, um, and it's a very like That's specific true. characteristic for that nation. I mm. feel like it's it's it, you don't see that anywhere else. Mm. No, you're right because um, when I went in the camp as well inside one of the tents, they were offering us food that we're the ones that provided them but they said please come and eat with us and it's yeah. just for me it was just like are you 
Are you kidding me? Like this is. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, even yeah. like one of those yeah. cultural shenanigans where yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. like I'm offering, but I don't really mean it. Like they, <laughs> yeah. they, they get offended when you say no. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is this is the thing. So that's that's one of the things about the Iraqi people, and specifically when it comes to like children. Um, I've seen like I was watching a documentary once uh, recently about um, the situation in Syria. Yeah. And uh, there's an orphanage there. Luckily, like in 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 the more secure areas that are, I've taken in a lot of these children that have gone through hell at the end of the day it's, 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 it's traumatic um, and they were providing them with uh, emotional support and, and therapy to kind of help mm-hmm. them heal okay. yeah um, but I, I remember one of the sisters that was uh, in charge of that she was saying that every once in a while a kid would just basically snap like they'll just they'll just crack they'll just lash out but they'll be sitting there calmly and they'll just all of a sudden just lash out or just zone off like they'll be talking and then they just space out because they've gone back to like a memory that they haven't been able to even process at that age. I mean, if something happens to us as adults right now, like it's it, it's it's pretty hard. But as in being a child, you don't even have to process it. You don't even have to communicate your feelings. You don't have to make sense of what's going on around you. Um, it's 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 so sad. Like I've seen pictures of Iraqi children, Syrian children, even Palestinian children, the way they play with like guns. Like I, I know we still have that here in the UK yeah, and yeah. In the USA whatever like kids like playing shooting all that kind of yeah, stuff like yeah, that yeah. but I mean I've seen pictures I think it was from Iraq or Syria where like the, the game they were playing was like they were playing executioning like they were playing out the scenes that they've seen from like wow. ISIS do where they've got like their friends tied up behind their back and these are like four or five year olds well I suppose you would you would like we as kids like we mimic what we see like you know whether it be movies you know TV whatever you know um, so similarly like you say they're, whatever they're seeing and experiencing on a daily basis that's how they're going to you know, compute you know, like, uh, there was a documentary I watched recently um, it was about Iraqi orphans and one of the things that like came out in that documentary I was and the way it was said was so like blase, but I just yeah. for a minute I, just, I, I literally started crying. Yeah. A son found out that his dad died. Yeah. It was unconfirmed whether his dad had died or not. Yeah. Because his friends, at, like they sent him a video on WhatsApp. Okay. That showed his dad being killed. Wow. So a kids are sending around these kind of videos. That's nuts. But b now imagine finding out that your dad actually dead. For a video you've just been sent on WhatsApp, mm-hmm. it's. It's it's a different reality. Like we're, heartless, I, I struggle to somehow comprehend that this is. I live in the same world as this happening. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. tonight, we're all gonna go home and sleep. But you know, what I mean, it's just it is. It's 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 sad. It's very very sad. And so I mean, um, Madia, again, like how how do we how do we help these um, you know Iraqi people in terms of that emotional psychological side of things? You know, um, you know what 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 work are you guys? Uh, or what, what can be done, you know, uh, to, to help them, you know, because like I say, it seems so, it just seems like so despairing, yeah. like, you know, and such a big, like, monumental task to take on. Yeah. You know, like you say, you know, giving food and shelter is one side of things, but, you know, yeah. um, I'm not saying that it is your responsibility yeah, as Muslim no. made, but no, again, but you know. There, there's going to be psychosocial care that they're going to need in the long term. Mm. Um uh, you know, as I said, we're launching an appeal for yeah. um, for, for immediate assistance and, in, inshallah, long-term rehabilitation yeah. too. But uh, we're not uh, clear exactly on what capacity we're going to be hel- helping in the long term. We're definitely going to be in things like education. Right. And education will um, uh, contain an area of psychosocial uh, support for children. 
um, in some capacity. So right. education, wash as in water and sanitation, hygiene, yeah. um, and um, maternal and child health, which will again uh, encompass psychosocial um, support in some capacity as well. So okay. that is the kind of thing uh, which aid agencies will be doing uh, in the future, you know, like Mr. Maid. Okay, so, excellent, um, excellent, that's excellent, probably excellent. the best way to, um, to help out. Okay. Well, I mean, again, as I say, like you know, um, we want to push it as much as we can uh, to people. Speaking of people, um, Hasib, I'm going to pass this to you for a second, if you don't mind, because um, uh, if there are any comments which are coming through, um, sure. you know, like I said a moment ago, I nearly messed up the audio, um, yeah. and we don't want to lose this uh, with Medija. Um, so yeah, as I continue to have this conversation, um, um, so yeah. Um, the future of Iraq. Uh, Hasib mentioned and touched upon it earlier on. Um, you know, <laughs> what does the future look like? Because, like I say, um, I having gone over recently and spoken to local people who would have had family in these areas. You know, a lot of the people they seem very resilient in some ways in terms of. Um, you know, they seem to be going about, you know, their lives as if, you know, you, you would, I suppose, uh, if you were living it and had no other alternative. Um, but they still do it in such a kind of such a proud manner, which I kind of admire in the mm -hmm. sense that, um, as I say, it doesn't may, maybe it. it maybe it masks a little bit of you know the actual reality to us as foreigners mm. because as i say seeing them they seem so strong and so yeah. resilient as I, people i think it's a matter of they don't have a choice but to get on with life i mean even even the syrian people i, I lived in sweden for two years and all my friends were swedish refugees mm. and you know they're just people that just get on with life because you have to to some mm. extent don't you so um so on one hand they're forced into that they have yeah. to get on with it so they do on the other hand I don't know whether it's a cultural thing or whether it's just human nature there is a there is a degree of um, you know not pride but you know they they will get on with things and they won't they will ask for help but they won't they won't they won't beg right of course right. Um, yeah. at the same time on the other hand you know they were almost begging when I when I was there at the distribution points you know, telling us that we're in such dire need we need medical attention so the fact is that even if they're not asking for help but you see that they need help we need yeah. to help them yeah um it's not that we're imposing on them there, there is a desperate need and mm. they are asking for help it's so it's not that it's being masked yeah, it, yeah. They, there is a need um you know and, and, it's, and it's very desperate it's very well the, the, this is what this is what i mean in the sense that um you know, because uh, we were so in awe of the fact this is a war-torn country which are basically hosting 22 million people. Um, and whilst we're doing the Arabian process, you know, they're feeding us. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're giving us shelter. Like Asi was saying earlier, they share everything with you. Um, and you just ask, firstly, on a pragmatic level, where's this money coming from in terms of how are they affording to help us and feed us and share all of this with us? Secondly, as I say, you know, they've been through such turmoil and strife, whether it be, um, you know, they themselves aren't from these areas, mm. but I'm sure every single person I spoke to knew of somebody or a story or somebody in their family had passed away or, you know, it just mm. literally was everywhere around them. Yeah. Nobody could escape the reality of the war, mm -hmm. even if you're for privileged or, or non-privileged, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I suppose, as I say, what my point being is that, you know, going forward how do these people adjust you know in these camps themselves uh do they 
begin working again? Do they set up, you know, little markets of trade? Are they completely forced to live on handouts? Um, you know, because over time you see in other camps things developing, mm-hmm. um, but every circumstance is different. Yeah. And because this is in war, mm-hmm. um, it may not be the same as elsewhere. So. Well, in, in the camps themselves, there aren't those marketplaces, etc. Yeah. But uh, while, whilst we were driving into the areas that were most recently retaken, through the areas that had been retaken a couple of weeks, a couple of months yeah. back, you would see that life is going back to normal somewhat. There are little market stalls. And I don't actually know where those supplies and things are coming from, mm-hmm. but there are little market stalls, you know, food, um, jerry cans, things people are selling. Right. Um, people are keen to get back on their own feet, mm. you know, and that that's sort of the best sort of scenario when people aren't reliant on handouts. But as I said, Whilst they are reliant on handouts, we're there to give them that. Of course, um, yeah. And we'll, we'll be there to support them in the, in the rehabilitation as well. Yeah. So people are willing to and wanting to uh, rebuild their lives. I mean, as I said, there's some areas that had only been retaken three weeks prior. Mm. And people were already streaming back in to try that's and... That's amazing. You know, that, that's really... Uh, but yeah. in another sense, that's really positive to hear. And that's mm. why I asked, because as I say, meeting the people, they seem so resilient and so kind of... Um, just uh, I don't know what the word is but you know they're almost innovative in their own kind of hardship yeah. you know like they find yeah. ways to just you know um, uh, uh, hurdle and survive yeah, 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 they're, yeah. they're survivors basically yeah. um, because they've unfortunately experienced such such kind of hardship I mm. suppose mm. it's made them that way but um, like, like you say if it's such a short span of time people can get back on their feet um, the more help that we provide and through yourselves um, you know facilitate the sooner it's going to be a likelihood that I suppose they can get back to these situations yeah. um, I mean when I say they go back they yeah. go back to entirely destroyed houses with no, with nothing at all so they do go back and they're you know we can't kid ourselves that yeah. obviously when we say go back yeah. it's all roses what yeah. we mean though is yeah. just the mere fact that they even have safety yeah. and they can have the pride for themselves to work or earn or look after their families yeah. like you say um it's going to be a 20-year project like yeah. you mentioned before yeah. infrastructurally yeah. in terms of restoring justice yeah. in terms of giving them back what they had mm. um because people forget iraq was an amazing country yeah. with beautifully um academic and prospering yeah. cities um, i mean our i mean our local um our local team they're amazing i've talking to one of the guys on the evacuation team and he's doing a PhD in chemistry from the University of you know, Erbil. They're such and it's educated just, it's amazing. people. Yeah. Right? And, he, and so he's doing that at night and during the day he's evacuating teams, you know, people from the front line. So, it's, so I mean, yeah. that's our amazing Muslim-made team out that's on the ground. Amazing. So I mean, that's a, that's the people of Iraq. So that's the What's the dynamic of um, kind of like uh, foreign British, you know, um, and Iraqis themselves within Muslim aid on the ground? What's the so we have 200, 200 local staff Right. all around Iraq. We've got three offices in Iraq um, that contain at least 200 people. Um, so local staff, yeah. Iraqis, 200 yeah. people. Okay, in, in, wow. in, okay. In, in, that, that's why we're so effective because we have local expertise, people that really know what's going on on the ground and are from Iraq. Because, yeah, I can imagine that yeah. must be a, a massive help, um, yeah. you know, rather than it being complete foreigners trying to come in and understand a foreign situation yeah. Yeah. to have um, again that in itself I find quite magnificent because you know these are people who are equally affected yeah. 
um, as the people they're helping yep. to yeah. a certain yeah, degree, yeah, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and again, I don't know what what separates them, what enables them, I suppose, to help. Well, a lot um, of them, you know, our evacuation team, for example, a lot yeah. of them are volunteers. Okay. Some of them are volunteers, some of them are not. Um, so they are local people. You know, they're just really brave local people that are helping yeah. on the well, evacuation. This is what I mean, team. what yeah. enables them to help is that's yeah. that's just crazy. Yeah, so not, just, there's nothing that sets them apart um, except for the want and need to, to actually help. Just exceptional people yeah. who are yeah. just trying to help. Yeah. That's that is amazing. Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. And, and the great thing is, um, <coughs> the, the Muslim Aid team on the ground have got really great relations with all the relevant authorities to get us into the, to the areas that we need to be. Mm. Um, really great relationships with all the other organisations that are working there, plus all the local authorities, the government, armed forces, Beshmerga, etc. So that's what makes it really effective. Excellent, yeah. excellent, yeah. excellent. Well, I mean, uh, I suppose closing thoughts and comments, um, you know, I don't know if there's any pertinent questions. Like I said, I was uh, having a little trouble trying to navigate my screen um, with my uh, computer literacy. Um, I read books at university, nothing mm. more. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, um, you know, in closing, I mean, we, we've covered, you know, we, we see the great work which you're doing, you know. I mean, medically, I just wanted to ask, you know, what what are we facilitating for them? Because if hospitals, for instance, have been destroyed and stuff, you know, through yourselves, you know, what, what are we offering to, to the people? So in the first instance, when they're evacuated, we yeah. give immediate um, medical attention to, to superficial wounds, etc. Because all, all of the evacuation team members have been trained yeah. medically. Um, not all the hospitals have been destroyed. There are some hospitals that are still standing. Okay, and in the camps as well, there are medical porter cabins, etc., that these people have been taken to. Um, and again, are the doctors, again, mainly voluntary doctors, which are just, um, you know, or do we have working staff in these hospitals and things which are... There are, there are working staff. There are some expats as well. Right, okay. Um, I'm not Spiral. exactly sure about the makeup of, of the, st- the hospitals and the staff in the yeah. hospitals. Yeah, um, But we, we, if we don't, if we're not giving medical assistance ourselves, we do pass the people on to the, peop- the right, right people to yeah, get that medical yeah, yeah, assistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, amazing, yeah. amazing. So yeah. obviously there's the food packages itself, um, you know, uh, in terms of shelter, again, um, so are you uh, almost escorting them to these camps yeah, then exactly. from these uh, evacuation exactly. situations? Yeah. So um, either to hospitals if they need or yeah. to the camps. Um, at the evacuation points and the screening points, we're installing latrines um, because, you know, people need to relieve themselves etc yeah. um you know uh and we're we're, we're providing those non-food items as i said stoves and, and kitchen utensils and blankets and mattresses as well so everything they need in the immediate term to make their life somewhat comfortable compared to what they were they had before excellent, excellent. Yeah. and how much for instance of the iraqi government helping you guys then um, well, they're helping us facilitate in terms of uh, getting to the places that we access because yeah. there are checkpoints every few meters, as yeah. you know, in Iraq. Yeah. Um, so they're help- you know we've got great relations with them in terms of giving us access to the areas that we need to, to be in. Right. Um, and that's both um, Kurdish Peshmerga forces as well as Iraqi armed forces as well. Okay. Um, and we've got great relations with with the government. Um, as I said, so that, so they're they're fully supportive in our work and where they go to. And people them. trust and like yeah. there's faith and it seems yeah. like yeah there is uh, a, a kind of um, again an authentic authenticity yeah. as opposed to that to that governing now. Mm-hmm. So um so exactly. that that's that's something really positive. Yeah. Um I don't know if you have any closing final thoughts, uh, Seeb, as we're wrapping this up. Um, 
because I say, you know, it's amazing work that Muslim Aid are doing. Um, to hear what the reality is, it's been really shocking to hear some of these stories. Um, and at the same time, as I say, you know, in terms of numbers and figures, uh, you know, to, to hear some of the, the, the things that you've mentioned is really quite um, harrowing and uh, really hits home as to the severity, I suppose, of the situation. Um, but you know, with you guys having covered Iraq for so long now, you know, um, you know, I, I suppose, do you guys feel more positive? You know, after hearing, uh, you know, Madiha um, and uh, um, her story as to so far what what's been going on and the work <coughs> Muslim Aid are doing and everything else and the uh, ever changing situation of Iraq politically and everything else, like you know, how do you feel, man? Uh, so I mean, I mean, I don't want to be a downer, but. Yeah. Uh, we've got to say how it is right? yeah uh-huh. yeah unfortunately the, the the way things are is um we're at a very kind of interesting part of the middle east now in terms of where things uh, have been where things are going yeah um if you look at syria for example there's been a civil war there for over you know i think it's been five years almost now right um thousands dying um, that gave birth to or facilitated the birth of ISIS supposedly yeah. Um, and you know now ISIS is on the back foot it's receding in terms of its uh, control um, but unfortunately what we're going to see now yeah. uh, realistically is uh, more suicide bombings and car bombings so whilst yeah. they don't hold land mass per se um, in, a, gonna... in a way it's a little it's worrying in a different way because life will go back to normal mm-hmm. and people will be filling streets and marketplaces and everything else and like you say the, you know these individual car bombings and suicide bombings is always going to be that constant reminder that like yeah. you know I mean even looking at Afghanistan right so just yesterday for example 50 people were killed in Kabul um, so I mean this is just like you know, I mean, already in places like Baghdad and even southern parts of Iraq, um, suicide bombings are a, you know, regular reality. Yeah. Um, but I suspect that after ISIS is defeated from both Syria and Iraq fully, yeah. um, they're just going to become a, um, it's like like it was during the post-Iraq uh, invasion, hmm. where Al-Qaeda was just carrying out these sporadic attacks here and there. So... It's not looking great, um, but there is optimism in the sense that uh, the people are becoming stronger and people are becoming more united uh, in their, you know, because at the end of the day, um, there was a um, disunity amongst the Iraqi people after the Iraqi uh, Iraqi, uh, US-led invasion of Iraq. Yeah. um, And the people became divided. Yeah. Um, And obviously, there's multiple factors for that. But people thought for a time that ISIS was a solution or ISIS was going to be some form of retribution against, you know, whatever they thought they had gone through. Um, now they know that that's not the answer yeah. um, and, and that's not what they wanted. Yeah. And they paid a heavy price for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now what we're going to see is hopefully um, Iraqi people coming together and in fact people of the Middle East coming together against these, this form of extremism. And um, that's that's something that I hope will take place soon. Inshallah, inshallah. And 
Any closing thoughts, you know, I mean, you know, in terms of the future of Iraq and, you know, the work going forward from you yourselves and others, you know, um, do, do you feel optimistic or do you share some of the skepticism of Hasib? Like, um, you know, how do you feel now having come back and, you know, had time to reflect, I suppose, upon your whole experience thus far? Um, I think, obviously, my side of things is the more the humanitarian mm-hmm. um, need. Uh, that is, as I said before, it's an uphill struggle a long journey um but i feel optimistic in the way that i know that organizations like muslim aid are there on the ground trying to help um and our things like our appeal that was launched tonight will hopefully go some way in helping people um, rebuild their lives well how can people uh, you know donate follow support um the appeal itself um so all the information that you need is on our website at www.muslimaid.org you can go on our facebook page muslim underscore aid Twitter, Muslim underscore aid, um, Snapchat, Muslim aid, uh, uh, Instagram, Muslim I'm aid. dropping a link here in the comments Perfect, as well. Perfect, thank excellent, you. Excellent, um, thank so yeah, please donate generously because the need is great. People are in desperate need. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. And we appreciate thank all you. the work you've been doing and uh, thank you for joining us here at Muslim much. Vibe. How can people, because I'm sure, you know, whilst you're getting on with your work, you know, uh, you'll be drip feeding us information. So is there any personal kind of uh, followings that, you know, people can, uh, you know, is there, do you, do you Twitter away or are you more I, I, in the background? I'm more in the background, but um, yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that we're doing is, yeah. is or not, Muslim Aid's uh, Twitter okay. account. So, okay. so just go that. through Muslim Aid. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Should we be keep, fine. We keep... Um, yeah, you're, I'm not much of a tweeter. Yeah, myself. okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, I like myself, like myself, yeah. yeah. All right, excellent. Well, look, Madiha, thank you very much you so again much. Uh, for, for joining us. Uh, thank you, Asib, for, for helping me with this uh, little discussion. For um, sitting here mostly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, Salim couldn't make it, bro, so we appreciate you uh, having joined us. Uh, no, no, honestly, uh, it's a difficult subject, as I say, um, one which is sensitive, and at the same time, um, you know, there's positives, there's obviously, at the same time, a lot of uh, negatives as well so it's uh, one which I feel like I've been educated um, and at the same time feel that I have a little bit more optimism at least um, despite uh, you know the, the struggles that still lie ahead so now it's an uh, awesome work that you guys are doing and as I said thank you very much for joining thank us thank you so much alright guys it's been the Muslim Vibe Podcast peace and love Asalaamu Alaikum